Hello, hello, good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, welcome to the first ISACUS webinar in, two, in this year 2024, which is on challenging cases, cases in proximal humor fracture. I am Emilio Calvo, I'm the chairman of the shoulder committee of ISACUS, and it's my pleasure to serve to you today as uh, uh, as coordinator or chair and co-chair of this webinar. The winner will be, will be uh, chaired with me by uh, Dr. Danny Lee, and will be and will be conducted by Karina Cohen from Brazil and uh, Danny Lee from Singapore. So it's a pleasure to to chair uh, this webinar. It's a pleasure to hold it with you, and I will uh, hand over Danny and Karina to start with the webinar and to uh, introduce the speakers that are participating uh, in it. Thank you, Emilio. So good evening from Singapore to all of you listening in from around the world. I need to thank Amelia for organizing this. And indeed, we thank all the speakers from all over the world. What is unique about trauma, as we know, is that each of us have our own unique experiences. The way we do it, the way we approach the problem, and our unique solutions to it. That's why this webinar is an excellent opportunity to share our cases. What makes it unique also is that global perspective. So we have exciting speakers from North America, South America, Europe. And what is really impactful is the interaction that we will have at the end of each case, as well as at the end of this session. Now, as we know that fractures around the proximal humerus, there are many options. And as it were, you can think of it as a cascade, fixation, hemiatroplasty to RSA. So let's begin this webinar. Um, and here we can see that we have presented four cases in that order. So we're thinking about fixation. What are the options? Hemiatroplasty, was that the best? Were there other things that we could do? RSA, what about non-surgical? Yeah, so we would really encourage all the attendees to throw in the questions at the fire and keep this conversation going. Um, we can stretch beyond the hour. So let us begin. Um, from North America, we invite Dr. Joseph DeAngelis, who will share with us how he managed to preserve the humeral head and hence fix the fracture. Must be challenging. Joe, we invite you now, your case. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. And thank you all for having me today. It's a wonderful honor to contribute to the symposium in such a talented uh, faculty. So thank you again. Happy New Year to all our, of our attendants, and I hope that this finds you all well wherever this finds you today. Today, we're going to be talking about an individual fracture case. As a matter of disclosure, I do some consulting work. I do not think it will affect our opinions today, but in the spirit of transparency, here for your consideration. SR was a 45-year-old right-hand dominant gentleman who was involved in a motor vehicle collision. This is now about two years old. Uh, so on March 3rd, he'll be celebrating his second anniversary. Unfortunately, he was an unrestrained passenger in a motor vehicle collision. And he was seen in a local community hospital yeah. where he was told that he had a non-displaced right proximal humerus fracture. As is often the case for many of us, he was referred to my attention and we obtained x-rays which presented as such. Unfortunately, the original x-rays are not available for consideration, but here we would all agree we have a comminuted three-part proximal humerus fracture in his dominant right hand. As a matter of conversation, I would like to emphasize just a couple of the anatomic details that I think 
bear consideration. We notice that the tuberosity itself has migrated superiorly and slightly posteriorly. We're going to draw particular emphasis on the medial side of the humerus. We can see that the medial metaphysis is displaced. That head segment has drifted into that varus position. And as an important little detail, this x-ray helps us to see the distance from the edge of the articular surface and the amount of metaphysis that has been preserved on the head. And when we're considering definitive fixation in this kind of fracture, we want to be very thoughtful about the vascular anatomy and how that contributes to the potential success of surgical fixation and how the absence of good blood supply to the head might offer us a little bit of insight as to what else we might consider doing. So here for emphasis is that greater tuberosity. If we look at a scapular Y view, I, I think that often these are difficult to interpret. I say that very candidly because you have a patient in pain, they've had an injury, and even the radiology technicians are reluctant to make them more uncomfortable. As a matter of emphasis, if we look very closely, here we can see that tuberosity segment rounded over here. We can see that the lesser tuberosity appears to be in continuity with the shaft. Again, a helpful little detail, if advanced imaging, three-dimensional imaging is not available. And seeing that tuberosity line in conjunction with the metaphyseal flare certainly helps. And as an additional matter of consideration, we always want to consider the position of the head relative to the shaft. We know that people that displace the head more posteriorly, any fracture that ends up with an apex anterior deformity can result in additional difficulty and disability following surgical fixation. So we want to make sure that both our true AP view and, importantly, that lateral view are correcting both planes of deformity. Now, we were fortunate to use a plate and screws. Regardless of what's available in your facility or to you, most of us have migrated towards fixed angle locked plating. Again, like I say, we took a little bit of time and attention to get all of those anatomic landmarks back aligned. We're going to draw particular attention to the height of the tuberosity relative to the height of the head. I think that we did an adequate job of getting the medial side of the humerus lined up relative to the metaphysis. We're able to preserve that medial bone stock. I think if we're going to be very exacting on the AP, you'd see that I do have a little bit of overlap. It has been my tendency to do this the way that hurdle has been described, to get the tuberosities into their position, to bring the head segment on to the tuberosity, and to preserve that lateral height making sure that the roundness of the head of the humerus and the horizontal pattern of the greater tuberosity are appropriately aligned. On the medial side, I do like to establish that medial calcar to really prop up the medial side and getting that calcar screw hopefully serves us well. On the sagittal view, I think that you can see that the alignment is neutral. I did have the advantage that the tuberosity was in its position. So I didn't have to correct the lesser tuberosity along with the head and the greater. And if we compare this over time, here we see a view taken much more recently. We don't see a lot of drift. Importantly, we don't see a lot of change in the alignment. And thankfully, the head has healed well. If we look at our vascular studies, we know that having seven or eight millimeters of bone on the medial metaphysis is a positive prognostic indicator. That positivity has to do with preserving the circumflex humeral arteries and their perfusion of the articular segment. If we compare what we were able to achieve intraoperatively with the injury films, again, it gives us that point of consideration where we can see bringing that medial side up, reestablishing the normal length, and setting the medial side preserves 
what I would say is the varus valgus angulation, and then drawing the head onto the tuberosity once the tuberosity has been reduced. On that scapular Y view here, again, a little bit difficult to interpret that initial film, but we can see that the tuberosity position seems neutral, the head position seems neutral, and the advantage of this is that when we are lucky enough to get it together and when it heals well, what you and I really hope is that that leads to a very successful clinical outcome. So here we see good motion, nearly symmetric when we compare the injured right side to the uninjured left side. And what we see is that his motion in all planes is relatively well-preserved. I think to the exacting eye, you can see there's just that little subtle difference left versus right at the end range of motion. But I think this is one of those times where we say in a young man who's had an unfortunate injury, preserving the bone stock, restoring the anatomy, and a little bit of good luck gets us a very acceptable result. So thank you all for your time. If you do have any questions, please. Thank you, Joe. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's a lot of things, um, a lot of skill in getting that fixation so perfectly done. Uh, can I ask you about the first point you raised, the vascular uh, preservation of the vascular supply to the humeral head. How do you ensure that all the time? Do you have any tips for our listeners, especially so the I, medial calca? You got that screw perfectly in place. Well, yeah, and I would say very politely, it's nice of you to say, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than it is to be good. I, <laughs> Are you I, always I lucky, take... Joe? <laughs> God, God willing. So uh, at the end of the day, I like to do the sequential fixation whenever possible to get that medial segment up. What I like to avoid doing is further disrupting the fracture. And I do put a lot of emphasis on the, the bony anatomy and the historical studies that have showed us where we can expect the medial circumflex artery to be perfusing. You know, seven, eight millimeters of metaphysis adjacent to the articular margin. That point of inflection shows us where the anatomic neck will end. Now, we are given the hand that we are dealt if the bone stock wasn't there, I don't think it would have changed my decision whether or not to fix it, given the patient's age and given their dexterity. But I would offer me a little bit of pause and a little bit more time to consult with the patient to say, we're gonna put the pieces where we belong to the best of our ability. And then again, we're gonna let mother nature take the course. And if there has been a disruption, hopefully get that reperfusion and avoid osteonecrosis over the long run. So apart from um, excellent anatomical fixation, how long do you wait before you, you know, in the post-op, before you realize, hey, something's not right, I need to do something else? So I tend to be a little bit, I'm going to say methodical. My partners would say tedious in my approach to the recovery. I will yeah. ask people to go for six weeks in a sling mm. to allow things to heal. If we think about osteointegration, even if I get good compression, I'm going to minimize motion early to allow for normal healing, whether that's the provisional clot stability that comes with early callus formation, or if it's just fundamentally letting the entire inflammatory process run its course. I yeah. do monitor the patients for about a year. Yeah. And so in that case, I would say six weeks of controlled life in a sling mm. and encourage the physical therapy to begin slowly. And I tell everyone, you're gonna have some stiffness, you're gonna have some weakness, and we're going to let yeah. that ride for about yeah. a year because this is a long story and we're on a journey together. Yeah. So coming back to that surgical technique about ensuring each 
fragment gets in, you know, like a jigsaw puzzle. I've often wondered whether we wanted to use sutures. And I think there was a question by Enrique Salas who asked um, whether do we use sutures to help the reduction or do we tighten them up before we put in the screws? And I'm sort of jumping his second question in. How do we enable that solid fixation as, as you showed in your example? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question and I will acknowledge, I mean, I'm only 15 years into practice. So I really feel like the techniques are evolving and we're all learning how to use these different elements to control the pattern. Early mm. on, I relied heavily on suture fixation, really getting the tendons to the plate. And what I observed is that if we don't load the bone, the bone is protected, it is shielded from stress. And in time, the tuberosity loses some of its girth some of its presence. So I mm. really try to get rigid bony fixation. What I think Jesse Jupiter described a long time ago as fragment specific fixation whenever possible to do what yeah. we learned, good bony stability first. And then I tend to interrogate. I'll have those sutures in place. I may even pass them through the plate before I apply it. And then almost like a belt with suspenders, I'm gonna complement my rigid fixation with a provisional soft tissue tensioning, mm. knowing that the rotator cuff is just as important as the tuberosity height. Yeah, great. Um, Joe, I'm just gonna quickly ask you to sort of introduce your answer to two questions um, that is posed by Enrique Salas uh, and uh, Carlos Fortin, who are hopefully the same question. Carlos was asking, would you do the same treatment and this fracture pattern and an 80-year-old patient, i.e. Um, elderly and osteoporotic, which in your example, the CCT, the combined cortical thickness, rather suggestive for osteoporosis, because Enrique Salas asked roughly the same thing. How do you use bone graft uh, regularly? So if you could help us with a quick answer. I will come yeah. back in the discussion later. Very good. Um, I would say briefly, I tend yeah. not to be in charge of definitive fixation in older patients. I think of this as a higher energy trauma in a younger person. And I know that in an 80-year-old, we're looking to do one surgery and be done. I use a lot of cancellous bone graft. I try to avoid cortical bone graft. I think cancellous bone and cancellous graft do better together in my hands. Okay, fantastic. We'll revisit this issue about fixation and osteoporotic bone uh, in the discussion at the end of the presentation, Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Um, to Ahmad's question, I'll, I'll we'll come back to that in the in the group discussion at the end of the presentations. Thank you, Joe. I pleasure. invite now Karina, um, Karina to my co-moderator and co-host to introduce our next uh, presenter. Thank you, Karina. Thank you very much, Danny. Congratulations, Dr. Joseph. So good morning from Brazil. It's still morning here. Uh, thank you very much, Heisakos, uh, for having me here and all the, the panel for this uh, presentation. And I would like to invite Dr. Guillermo Arce from Argentina. Uh, he's going to give his talk about I could not preserve the head, but Amy was the best option for me. So welcome, Dr. Arce. Thank you, Karina. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Emilio, for inviting me to share uh, with you these concepts about a case where uh, I couldn't preserve, preserve the head and Amy was my, my best option. Uh, this is my financial disclosure uh, that has no impact in, in this presentation. 
I, I think uh, you, the, the chair's moderator that the shoulder committee, uh, picked up uh, a great topic because uh, proximal humeral fractures are always a big challenge. And all of us sur sur uh, shoulder surgeons see a lot of complication after these uh, fractures. Uh, we all agree that reverse shoulder arthroplasty is the superstar uh, for proximal humeral fractures. Uh, they do very well. But my goal today is to answer a, a question. Is there a, any role for humeral health replacement in proximal humeral fractures? I will present you a daily living case. Uh, I will uh, share with you my flow of thoughts and literature support. How do I do it? Technical perks and tips. And uh, finally, the discussions. This is the AP x-ray of our patient today. Our patient is a 50-year-old male uh, after a ski trauma. He is a right shoulder, four plus parts uh, proximal humeral fractures. Neurovascular was intact. Very important, the, he has no story of pain and dysfunction of the sh shoulder. This is very important for evaluate the rotator cuff status. Uh, is the no dominant arm. Uh, he is a heavy worker, lifting, carrying, and pushing. And his sport is ski, uh, mainly Nordic walking and uh, weekend warrior and gym. This is the uh, CT scan, the TD CT scan. And the first question is, can I preserve the human head? Uh, look into these uh, CT scans. Uh, I think in this case, we have four, uh, four part fractures. The tuberosis, the tuberosity are very displaced, uh, more than 10 millimeters, and the graded uh, uh, tuberosity is more than 5 millimeters. As it was said by, by Joe, the posterior medial metaphyseal head extension is less than 8 millimeters, so we have less than 8 millimeters of calcar attached to the humeral head. Uh, and uh, the head is angulated more than 45 degrees, and the head is split a little bit, uh, about 20% uh, with the anterior fragment uh, in the Shabel uh, classification is type 2. This is the uh, another view of the CT uh, 3D scan. And uh, in these cases, some of them we get the MRI to know the uh, rotator cuff status is, is very important if we are planning to uh, an ME. I know there are many, plenty of uh, articles comparing EMI uh, and, and reverse shoulder arthroplasty, and we all know that the, the reverse has uh, a, a better uh, outcomes uh, following the, the Constantin Merlin and the American Shoulder and Elbow uh, Surgeon scores, but the EMI has uh, less operative time and more external rotation. This is an important paper coming from the New Zealand Joint Registry where uh, the conclusion were then no significant difference between humeral health replacement and reverse shoulder arthroplasty, and both of them are reasonable surgical options. This paper uh, of Gregory Bain from Australia, uh, following uh, almost 6,000 patients, conclude that reverse shoulder arthroplasty have better outcomes and lower revision rates in females older than 70, but, it's always a but, male patients younger than 65 have a high risk of revision due to instability, so they conclude that perhaps human health replacement with better techniques and re rehabilitation programs may be indicated. 
So uh, not all the uh, fractured stems are the same. We, we need uh, a small metaphysical uh, stems. Uh, we need uh, a, metaph a small metaphysis uh, to facilitate uh, the greater tuberosity reduction. Legs proximal metal, smaller heads, and the bone graft, bone graft need, need to be inside the stem at the window or at the cage. Uh, uh, this is the, the kind of stem we usually do with the extended uh, uh, titanium and hydroxyapatite coating in the proximal part, a very thin meta metaphysis and a cage. The reduction, you all know that the greater tuberosity need to be re reduced at the lateral part of the prosthesis and not keep it uh, posteriorly. And it's critical to have a very rigid fixation with sutures around the prosthesis. Uh, not all the AMEs are the same. Uh, this is a good paper uh, from Pascal Boileau uh, describing that the prosthesis design and the tuberosity, tuberosity fixations are critical to get good results. So uh, back in the case, uh, we decided to put the anemi, uh, a humeral head replacement, and we totally focused in, in trying to reproduce the anatomy with regard to the height, the offset, and the version. We do a digital template, but uh, so far we're still using regular x-rays and we flip horizontal the regular x-rays, the healthy side, the contralateral side over the fractured side. And, and in this manner, we can uh, uh, really know uh, the height of the future prosthesis. Uh, as you can see here, we do not only digital templated, but also the regular templating, and we follow the Murachowski uh, rule of five and a half centimeters over the pectoralis major tendon to put our uh, Emmy. Here you can see the surgical technique in this case, uh, right arm, uh, right shoulder uh, with the prosthesis. Uh, we have five different uh, sizes of cages and uh, you can see on the right the cage with the screw uh, at the right side. We fill the cage with bone graft and all around the prosthesis. Uh, after doing so, we pick up a, a head. Usually we use a head smaller than the native head, uh, about two or three millimeters smaller than the native head to have a very good reduction of the tuberosities, the lesser and, and greater tuberosity, as you can see on the right with six sutures. The reduction of the tuberosities is the key of success you need to uh, really have an anatomic reduction of the tuberosities after uh, picking up the right prosthesis, the right height, and the, the, uh, the right offset. Uh, I think the, the nice note is, is very good. Uh, this is a webinar, and uh, the young people need to know that these kind of notes are very useful. We do a square knot with a cinch. We always pass a cinch, as you can see on the right. The, after the square knot, we put, pass the legs through the loop, and then we have a sliding knot there. And after a, a good pressure of the tuberosity, we lock the square knot with different uh, stitches. I think it's an asset, the, the uh, Pascal Wallon uh, nice knot. 
uh, as you can see here, this is uh, the end of uh, the operation. You can see a very anatomic rigid uh, fixation of the tuberosity uh, with the right uh, height offset uh, of the prothesis. This is our patients after six months. This on the left is the regular x-rays. Uh, he has uh, almost full range of motion. He has a great abduction power. Uh, good external rotation as any Emmy. And an important key is uh, that uh, with the Emmy, you can uh, fix the subscapularis much better because you don't have excessive uh, offset and uh, distalization as, as the, with the reverse shoulder atroplasty. So you recover uh, the lift off test and, and a good uh, outcome. This is the patient back skin. So for ending, the, I, I think the current indications of uh, humor head replacement in proximal humor fractures are for fra a fragment fracture uh, with or without head splitting. Uh, without advanced rotator cuff disease, men less than 65 are, uh, are the main indication of this uh, prosthesis. We usually use a modular implant with a convertible stem that allow us easy reversion, uh, revision to reverse shoulder arthroplasty, good prosthesis design and an accurate surgical technique. The advantages of the ME is the less expensive prosthesis, anesthesia can be interesculent block alone without the need of general anesthesia, shorter surgery in less bleeding for patients with comorbidity, better restores normal biomechanics, uh, time will tell about that, less lateralization and distalization, so the subscapularis repair is easier and more predictable. And uh, in many, many cases, we, we reach uh, our uh, objectives of having a constant normality score more than 50 and, and AS, ES uh, more than 70. So uh, to answer the question is, there is still a role for EMIS in proximal humeral fracture? I think absolutely, yes. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you very much, um, Dr. Arce. Um, great. There are a few questions that we can bring into the discussion, but maybe we'll reserve it for later, Dr. Arce, at the uh, group discussion. Is that all right? Uh, thank you very Perfect. much, Dr. Arce. Thank you. Um, now, if uh, Dr. Arce has been, let's say, an, a, a proponent of hemiarthroplasty, we'll make it a count point counterpoint. And now we invite Dr. Paolo Hernandez, who is a proponent of RSA for his fractures. So Paolo, we invite you to share your case. Uh, RSA was eventually the best option for me. So uh, Paolo, the time is yours for the segment on RSA. Well, thank you everybody. It's a pleasure to be here and wish you a happy new years. I'm Paolo Yunas from Cali, Colombia. And uh, this is a clinical case. Uh, I don't have uh, a disclosure of this, uh, this kind of presentation. And this is a 81 years old male patient who suffered a fall from his own height with trauma dominant left shoulder without previous pain and with controlled heart failure and arrhythmia. These are the radiographics uh, from the first day showing a proximal fracture of the humeral with impact fracture of the greater tuberosity 
displaces less than 10 uh, millimeters. As you can see, uh, there is no displacement or angulation of the three components of the proximal uh, metaphysical uh, fracture. Uh, this is a very important decision that for, for us is the most important part of the uh, take, uh, uh, get a, a good decision for uh, different types of patients. Uh, this is the classification, different type of classi classification, AO, Hertel, and NIR. We use a regular NIR uh, classification still. And in this particular case, uh, this is the type one uh, because there is uh, no displacement more than 10 millimeters or angulation more than uh, 45 degrees. Uh, we, we look at uh, for the uh, bad predictor of ischemia. In this case, uh, uh, he didn't have uh, any of bad predictor of ischemia, such as uh, four fragment patterns, angular displacement of the head more than 45 degrees, or displacement of the tuberosity more than 10 millimeters or uh, hair split. So according to this publication that is uh, at the key of the publication in the conservative management uh, from the preferred study, uh, this is the spectacular paper, two years follow-up of the UK reality. Uh, this is the uh, good candidate for uh, conservative management. Also did a study with relatively uh, short follow-up, shows the reality of the United Kingdom uh, that are no always Latin American in conditions. Uh, the patient was in a shoulder sling for a month. Uh, and this is the X-ray four months later. Uh, we can see the fine of the center of the humeral head completely displacing in the virus. And the CD angles is a virus collapse uh, more than 80 degrees. So uh, even the medial hinge displacement more than 25, 21 millimeters four months uh, later. So this is the, the, the another views of the of the uh, state of the radiographics and evolution, and if you compare uh, the day one versus the uh, four month later, uh, there is a, a, a huge difference between both uh, uh, aspect of the X rays. So my my question is, uh, what uh, I do? In this, in this particular case, we need to take a decision, maybe surgery, maybe wait to conservative uh, management, maybe to uh, consider osteosynthesis or total shoulder arthroplasty. If you take a decision on total shoulder arthroplasty, Amy as a presenter by Guillermo or reverse total shoulder uh, arthroplasty. So the patient refused a surgery, uh, and then this is the X-ray one month later with increased collapse, cellular throsis, and, and 23 points in, in the ACES scale. This is another projection, and this is the uh, uh, physical examination seven months after the fracture. And you can say the cell paralytic uh, uh, shoulder and the ACES scale is very, very uh, worse. And the patient is uh, unfunctionally, and he decided to, to do uh, something because uh, 
we need to restart your uh, daily activity of the daily day. So in, in this uh, case, uh, what should I do? This is my, my question. And we decided to do uh, a reverse uh, shoulder uh, arthroplasty. This is the immediately post-operative X-ray. And I think it is important to have uh, two technical elements. Uh, the first one is to take an X-ray, the entire arm to the other side, to be able to measure the height and leave a position that is anatomically as possible. And the second one is use of cement, since uh, there is evidence that show very results in the fracture uh, scenario. The third uh, typical uh, or the third tips is to use a very more constrained uh, poly because in these uh, cases uh, normally it's impossible to reattach the subscapular or reattach part of the rotator cuff uh, and the, uh, the rotator of the final position of the stem is so important to avoid uh, instability in the post-operative. Uh, this is the uh, physical examination one year after reverse prosthesis. And you can see the patient has a good uh, uh, forward flexion and uh, internal rotation is very limited, but uh, he can uh, do uh, everything of the living of activities of the living day. Uh, I have uh, normally uh, a, a lot of questions because uh, 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 maybe you need to take a, a good decision in the in the in the in the first scenario. And uh, my my question about that is: uh, Would uh, someone consider something different in the acute setting, in the patient eighty one years old uh, with uh, high uh, morbidities, uh, comorbidities, and what are the criteria for uh, defining a phylic conservative management? Uh, the osteosynthesis in the 80 years old patient has a place. Uh, and do you consider uh, tendon transference in rotate in reverse total shoulder plastic in patient is fractured? So thank you very much, and I'm I'm very pleased to uh, start the discussion or to uh, hear some questions. Thank you very much, Dr. Hernandez. We'll have the questions uh, after we finish the case presentation because of the okay. time. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I'd like to invite Dr. Andreas Voss from Germany now. Uh, he's gonna talk about uh, the conservative treatment if uh, it may be better than surgery. So Andreas, please. Thank you, Roman and uh, Karina, thank you for the introduction. So I'm uh, presenting uh, a conservative treatment but I think this case represents uh, the introduction to every case because if possible, we always try to prevent surgery because in some um, fractures, nature is even better than uh, a surgeon. And hopefully after this presentation, yeah, you will agree with that. So this is my uh, disclaimer, but uh, the, there's no conflict of interest uh, related to this, this presentation. So I'm presenting a 53-year-old female, very, very active patient. She fell on her right shoulder after uh, riding her bicycle 
this was three days before presenting in my clinic and initial care has been provided by the local hospital where uh, the fell happened. So she was sent over uh, our department for surgery uh, and for second opinion. She was severely limited in her daily life and had a simple shoulder value about 20%. So she really was really handicapped with, uh, with that shoulder and she was right-handed. So these were the patient's x-ray from day one, which have been uh, sent over from the hospital uh, after the accident. So what I always do is like take um, a few measurements. If you look here at the humeral head, you see a slight derotation. You see the greater tuberosis is much more laterally rotated than normally. And if you look at the shaft axis, you see a, a posterior dislocation of the humeral head, which is about 50 degrees. And as we have seen uh, in the presentations before, this would be one of the cases where you would say it's more than 45 degrees. So uh, that was the reason why this patient has been sent over for eventually getting uh, uh, osteosynthesis. But what I always have to consider it, uh, who did it happen to? So in my clinic, I have three types of patients. I have the old, old, the old, young patient, and the young patient. And you always have to have to consider um, in which category uh, this shoulder falls. So when do I do conservative treatment? Um, first of all, I look at the fracture type. So if there's a little dislocation and in cases where you have a stable compressed uh, fracture. So if possible, uh, and they come in for the first day, I try to do an uh, uh, abduction test under fluoroscopy and see if the shoulder is stable up to 60 degrees abduction. If there's a stable compressed fracture, I always try to do it uh, conservatively. And of course, you have to look at the patient type. So this is more uh, old, old type. Uh, I go more into conservative treatment because there's a high risk of surgery. And of course, then you look at the fracture type. You look at the displacement, so normally more than 45% uh, degrees. Then the shaft offset more than uh, one centimeter, tubercum offset, even the step formation or the articular step formation. And of course, if you have a metaphysical multifragmentary situation. So in this case, um, uh, we tried to do a conservative treatment, but because we have still intact uh, tuberosity and we have this uh, subcapital hip fracture. So I did an axial manipulation to try to reduce the fracture a little bit more. And this was the X-ray um, after the axial manipulation. You st still see a little uh, varus dislocation with a little medial hinge. But if you look on the right side here, um, if we remeasure again, we went uh, down from 50 degrees to 42 degrees, and now it's totally fine for me to do a conservative treatment. And I follow these patients uh, regularly. I do repeatedly x-rays to see if uh, the fracture is in the right position or if it's getting uh, worse. Uh, in this case, because it was a, a little a virus dislocation, I put them in an abduction pillow so to get um, uh, anatomical axial uh, stress on the fracture. And as you can see here, slightly uh, the fracture is um, relocating. And uh, this is day 21. It's almost anatomically uh, 
repositioned. And this is the X-ray, the final X-ray, six weeks after the incidents. You see uh, the medial fracture is almost not possible anymore because it had auto-reduced and also the posterior dislocation of X-ray is totally fine for me. The patient presented five months after the traumas. She had an active range of motion with 100 degrees, 160 degrees of flexion, 150 of um, abduction. She was very good in external rotation with about six, uh, seven degrees. This is sometimes uh, crucial because uh, with these fractures, they lose external internal rotation, but also the passive range of motion, the glenal passive range of motion was, was very, very good. So thank you for your attention and uh, I invite you for the next Isaacos Congress 2025 in Munich, which is about an hour from here. Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, that's it's a it's an excellent case you you showed. Um, but I gather that you know these are the kind of cases that are like two part minimally displaced that you will do non surgical or conservative treatment here. Yeah? Uh, but surely you will not you'll be open to doing um, different options if there was a different more severe fractures. So coming back to simple minimally displaced fractures, what if I can't get that reduction? You managed to get it very nicely done. Use that abduction pillow, then you bring it down. What are the tips to reducing simple fractures in your cases, in your hands? Well, in this in this course, we always present our best cases, but sometimes <laughs> there are also worst cases. So sometimes you're not able to reduce or you mm. see that the humeral head will fall off as we have seen from the presentation before, because the first X-rays were very fine and also agree or would have started conservative treatment. But in these cases, I follow them very strict, uh, almost weekly, to see if there's any dynamic in the fracture. Luckily, this lady has a positive dynamic because they had a, uh, she had an auto-reposition. And if I see that um, the conservative treatment is failing within mm. the first two weeks, that's my time window, um, I, I go for osteosynthesis. Okay, because we have a question from one of our audience, uh, Muzimol Siddiqui, who asked, uh, was there any maneuvers that you use to reduce it? Uh, yeah. Anything specific? Yeah. Yeah, I just I just um, let the patient stand. I just grab the, the forearm and then I do slightly axial loading mm -hmm. of the arm and pendle movements just yeah. to unlock um, the, the fracture. And the second x-ray was right after the manipulation. But it's it's nothing what which is severe because the cuff is then repositioning if it's intact is repositioning the humeral head after the manipulation. Yeah. So what's slight traction? Yeah, as you do yeah. that. What if you can't do that? Have you ever had a time when you use pins to lever the fragments into place and then pinning it? Are you open to pinning in such fractures? You mean without surgery, like with, uh, or you mean that you I mean, it's like, um, the, it's like surgical reduction, but just minimally with percutaneous yeah. pin. So I'm using a delta uh, pectoral approach, and then I mm. use two pins, like a joystick, to manipulate. Mm. And in this case, maybe I, um, if I could not uh, reduce it, or if I see a humeral head dislocation, what I sometimes do is I first put the plate on the humeral head and then reposition it by putting the screws on the shaft afterwards. So I fix the plate mm. first on the head and then use the plate as a lever to put it back on the, on the shaft. 
Fantastic. Um, but if it's like completely non-surgical, um, Andy, then what do you explain to your patient to expect um, reduction in strength or stiffness? Do you see that a lot in your non-surgical treatment? Well, this is a case which is about three or four years old. And this was a kind of eye opener for me because I have never expected that it's so perfectly put mm. back anatomical position. So whenever possible, I speak to my patients, say there is a, is a chance for um, conservative treatment in healing. Of course, patient gets stiff because they will uh, they uh, get into a pillow, depending on if it's a vulgus or varus dislocated fracture, they use a different kind of pillow. And, and I always tell them the fracture might heal, but then maybe they have a stiff shoulder. Um, mm. Of course, that's a very important thing you have to, to tell your patients. Uh, but uh, I would rather treat the fracture first and then uh, take care of the stiffness than the other way around. Mm. And what physiotherapy do you um, prescribe for such patients, Andy? No physiotherapy at the, at the beginning. Because so after the fracture healed, then you catch up. After the fracture healed, like this was a six-week uh, sling uh, therapy mm -hmm. as you, because I took the last x-ray six weeks after um, uh, the injury. And then they they do pendulum exercises and they start uh, active uh, physiotherapy with active range of motion uh, right after the last x-ray because then I don't want them to get stiff. Great, great. Thanks, Andy. Thank you very Thanks, much. Andy. What is very interesting is that we, we started talking about plating in the years 2000, then 2010 arthroplasties, and then in 2020, we come back for conservative treatment. And I think what we see is that many of the fractures, even those not so uh, like the one you showed, and, uh, Andy, but um, more complex fractures, they might be uh, treatment, treated as uh, conservative treatment too. And I have a, a question regarding to the time of the sling that you said you could keep in six uh, weeks and in abduction sling, right? But uh, most yeah. of the time, well, I follow them with with the X-rays to see if there's if there's a dynamic of the fracture. If I if I have a feeling that is stable, they can start passive motion right out of the sling with pendulum. But I I give them the sling. Uh, for the night because um, during the night I don't want them to get uh, any compression or any like strange movement during the night so I put them in a sling during the night for the six weeks Over, uh, if I feel it's stable after two or three weeks of the x-ray I just uh, start passive motion with um, passive mobilization but just pendulum just to prevent any further stiffness yeah. Yes, I take this care too at night, but what we may see in literature sometimes, we can see like uh, people talking about one to three weeks of uh, immobilization and early uh, rehabilitation. So sometimes there are no uh, difference in, in, in fracture, independent of the fracture pattern. So they would say of about early mobilization, a bit gorgeous, but I would like also to know about uh, from the panel, uh, how long in conservative treatment do you keep uh, the sling during the day mainly. Thank, thank you, Karina. No more than the two weeks because we need to to start early movement because the arthrofibrosis is a big problem after this this kind of of management. 
Yeah, that, that's an important point. Thank you, Paolo. Uh, there's a question from Enrique Salas who's asking um, Andy, how important is the reduction um, of the fracture versus range of motion for, for daily activities? In other words, can we accept a less than perfect reduction, um, say an elderly patient? But Absolutely. functional time, yeah. Absolutely. Like I always tell my patient, like um, um, at the end, it's a decision that is made not by our surgeons, it's made by the patient. If the patient is mm. happy with his range of motion and we could prevent or like uh, prevent him to undergo surgery, I'm totally fine and happy. So it's always a discussion between patient and surgeon. So the expectations from the patient, like you can have a 70-year-old highly active patient, which is very demanding, and you have a 70-year-old patient which is not demanding. So maybe because of uh, the patient's expectations, you would treat the fracture totally different. So I would not mm -hmm. say that it's depending on the fracture. It's it's so many so much more around the fracture than uh, than just the fracture pattern. Yeah, great. Uh, we have some questions coming up, and these are all directed to the different speakers. So we invite all the speakers. So thank you very much for all your presentations. Uh, perhaps all the speakers, we can go live now. There was a question directed to for Dr. Arce. Mm, yeah, earlier on, Dr. Arce, um, Enrique Salas was asking whether with a proper hemi and a cage and hole for screws, res would results be better than an RSA? And would you do anything different if the glenoid was um, had signs of arthritis? Uh, yes, that's an excellent question. I, I think that uh, there is a, a narrow uh, a spot for the Emmy in the young male that uh, do a, a lot of sports or heavy work in the dominant arm. I, I think the, these new designs of fracture stems are very good. The metaphysis uh, need to be narrow, a small metaphysis to have a, a, enough room to reduce tuberosity. I think uh, the graph should be at the window of the of the of the stem, or the cage is a very useful tool to really put the graph on and and have the mm -hmm. tuberosity healing. Um, I think uh, uh, the design uh, allows us to do it uh, cementless. Uh, with two locking screws at the distal part of the prosthesis, but mainly in all cases we cemented the prosthesis to really know that we are getting the right height of the prosthesis. We, yeah. we need to take into account that we are dealing with convertible stems uh, to reverse, but if you look at the literature, only 70% of the reverse, uh, convertible stems can be used during the reverse, because when you put the reverse, sometimes it's too tight and it's impossible to reduce the reverse and you need to remove the stem. That's a detail that if you reverse an Emmy to a, a reverse shoulder arthroplasty, you need to be prepared to even to remove the, the, the humerus stem in 20% in of the cases. Mm. And you showed us very nicely the knees knot, Dr. Arce, but do you have any tips about managing the fragments um, in doing a good hemi for our audience because you know everybody has their own technique and sometimes we tend to miss out on certain big fragments. Uh, in these cases you need to re reduce the fragment with the ronger uh, with it, it to reduce the anterior fragment and the posterior fragment with the ronger keeping a, a big piece of bone 
but to reduce the, the cancellous bone with the rancher. And then we put the six sutures, two on the, and the anterior uh, fragment, two on the posterior fragment, the greater tuberosity, and one, uh, two, two more uh, to reduce the, the greater tuberosity to the diathesis. That is critical. Mm. I think the nice knot described by the Pascal Valot is great because you do a square knot and then you pass the legs through the loop and you have a very good sliding knot. Mm. You need to fix the tuberosity strong enough to have some motion without any any uh, micro motion of the fragment in order to get mm. a good result. Any other tips from the other uh, panelists and you all in your experience doing hemis? I find it one of the most challenging because, you know, no fracture is the same. It's not so predictable and fragments can be flying everywhere. Any tips, Joe? So, uh, you know, I think that the, the challenge as you articulated is playing with the pieces that you have and having mm. a sense of where it ought to be. I noticed in the question and answer segment, people had asked, you know, when you face medial comminution or if the tuberosity is comminuted, how do you judge it together? There was a thing once upon a time that we all used to do, which is get an x-ray of the other side. And I think that if mm. we think about that contralateral x-ray as a template, sometimes it can serve as a little bit of a guide when you're trying to fill in the gaps. We have learned with hemis to reduce the tuberosity, but not over-reduce the tuberosity. I think with the reverses, we're going to find ourselves that tuberosity fixation is going to be central. And so Dr. Arce has really emphasized that point. You need to be able to hold those tuberosities rigidly in a reverse. But when you're doing the hemi, I agree, more challenging because like fixation, not only does it have to be held well, but it has to be held in the right position well. And I think that that sometimes you can look to the other side to make sure that your overall result mm. approximates the native result, even if there are lots of pieces, even if it's a difficult puzzle to solve. I would put it that um, doing a good hemi is actually very tough. It's not as easy. I'm not sure. What do the panelists think? Andy, would you be happy if your junior attendings are doing lots of hemi for your fractions? <laughs> well, I think uh, starting with a hemi as a junior is maybe not the best. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because as you as you have heard from all the presentation, it's uh, think the most challenging thing. I think the key point of this whole surgery is fixing the tuberosities. So I think this is the key step. Um, I have a question uh, to Jelmo regarding the uh, cementation of, of the stem. Like how, of how far or high, how hard do you put the cement? Because from, from the image I saw, um, you didn't fill up the whole shaft with cement. So is there a critical point where, where you stop cementing or? Uh, as you know, the stem uh, fracture stem design comes from in in some companies one one millimeter, but uh, in many companies they have an eight. You have an eight, a ten, a twelve, and, and a fourteen. Usually, we we uh, use a, a provisional stem of twelve and then uh, back up, up to the ten to cement it. Uh, the 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 stem is uh, fully coated coated with hydroxyapatite and titanium on the top. So we cement the lower part, but uh, the the number ten is longer than the eight, and the twelve is longer than the than the ten. So I think perhaps at least six or seven centimeters being cemented by a, a pressurized uh, technique is enough, and you can leave all the uh, proximal part of the fracture stem 
for uh, tuberosity healing. Uh, we really do what Joe says that we take an x-ray of the uh, normal side of the healthy side and then we flip horizontal the x-ray and put the x-ray exactly the same on the fracture side. That That's very uh, for Latin American style, but it's very, very useful to really know the, the height of the prosthesis. Yeah, I think the flip x-ray yeah. is a great idea, Dr. Arce. Yeah, I agree too. It's the most challenging reconstruction, but we do it too. There is another question from Marcos de Mondo. Uh, do you think that the hemi at long term will be like the hemi at the hip in young patients? So probably they would need a new surgery? Yeah, revision of hemis, is that likely? Um, what's the uh, opinion, uh, Dr. Arce? The shoulder is totally different than the, than the hip with, without weight bearing. And, and it's not very common that we see a glenoid erosion. Uh, the mainly the revision for, uh, of the emis are due to a non a, a good uh, tuberosity healing and, and, mm -hmm. and not a good score after surgery. So we revise them to 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 the the reverse shoulder arthroplasty. But uh, we didn't see many cases of glenoid erosion after emis in, in in these cases. Yeah, I agree. Failure of hemis are really related to the integrity of the cuff rather than long term loading. Great, thank you. Um, yeah. So there was um, there was this question, Andy, for you about uh, when would the when is the earliest you would start with passive ROM and pendular motion in conservatively treated patients? Uh, uh, question of physiotherapy and how soon? It's depending. If I do a fluoroscopy of the um, the fracture and I have a stable compressed head and I do fluoroscopy, and I see during the abduction movement that the head is not moving, I give them a uh, um, passive range of motion right away, right with pendulum. I put them in a sling for at least two weeks uh, during the day, but they can't start uh, pendulum movement right away because uh, it's a stable fracture. If you don't see it's stable or it's not a compressed fracture, at least put them two weeks in a sling, and I mm. followed it. Um, it's uh, in, in Germany, we have a perfume, it's called Cologne water. And uh, the Cologne water is, mm. the, it's a number, it's uh, 48 or 7, 11. So I make an x-ray after 4, 8 and 11 days. So it's mm. a Cologne water protocol to see the dynamic of the fracture. And after day 11 or two weeks, I have a good impression of the, of the stability of the fracture. So if I see a stable fracture, they can start uh, after two weeks. But the first two weeks, unless it's a stable compressed fracture from uh, fluoroscopy, they stay in a sling for two weeks. Dr. Arce, you have a question? Yes, I would like to ask a question to Paolo and, 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 and to Andreas about uh, non-surgical treatment. Uh, do you expand the indication of the non-surgical treatment in, in elderly people like uh, over 75? Having the reverse as a backup to return and to fix the problem, do we need to expand our indication of non-surgical treatment in, in people over 80 years old? Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Guillermo. Of course, in, in patients over uh, 70 years and people with low demand, I expand my indication to uh, conservative treatment. Doesn't matter the patterns of the fracture because the, there are many, many papers that confirm 
that in these particular cases, in patients elderly, uh, the outcomes is completely the same if you do uh, osteosynthesis or even uh, reverse total uh, uh, arthroplasty. So nine to 10 of the, my cases in patients elderly is, uh, is a conservative management, except in a split uh, fractures or luxation. The rest of the cases, I use a conservative management, and I, I think uh, this is the my messages, uh, final my message uh, in these in these cases. I absolutely agree. Uh, in some cases, I'm considering because at some point they might need a reverse. So in some cases, I'm thinking about surgery to get a good, a good bone stock for eventually second surgery in the future. So. Um, the older the patient, uh, the more restrictive I am. So I'm doing more conservative. If the patient is getting younger, even if it might look that we could start conservatively, um, in some cases I do try to fix it because I want to have a good bone stock in, in the case that might be in 10 or 15 years or even um, earlier. So about thinking about the bone stock in the future, is something I, I'm considering uh, when uh, choosing between the surgical and non-surgical treatment. Great. Um, you know, earlier on, I brought up the thing about hemis being rather challenging to do. Because what we notice in our region here, uh, a lot of the younger surgeons are doing a lot more RSAs for the trauma. Is that seen in Europe and North and South America as well? Is there an increasing trend for RSA using doing RSAs for trauma. Absolutely. Well, I can oh, say it from, mm -hmm. from, from, from the university hospital, I would say that here, um, uh, which is uh, about uh, 15 minutes from here, I would say that 95% of the, the fracture um, prothesis are reverse total, uh, reverse shoulder arthroplasties. Mm. I, I rarely see uh, anatomical um, reconstructions. Yeah, the Australian registry shows there's a, a flip already. RSA is increasingly more and more than TSAs. Uh, Paolo, you have the last word on RSA. Is that going to be a trend? And do we <laughs> expect that uh, challenges in the future about RSA? Yes, it's the same in Latin America. The, the reverse prosthesis increase uh, almost geometrically. So mm. nine to ten uh, uh, reverse uh, uh, shoulder arthroplasty is reverse even in uh, fracture scenario. I think a reverse is more predictable, and the young patient, young uh, surgeons, is more uh, easy, easy uh, because uh, do anatomical or AME to the attachment the tuberosities is more challenging in these particular cases. So in Latin America, it's the same. Mm. Karina, um, any further questions? I don't, there are no more questions here. And uh, I think, um, I don't know if we need to finish or can we go on? Well, yeah, I think yeah it's been a, a great webinar. I mean, to me, when yeah. we see all these possible solutions, 
it's it's so much to teach our juniors that not everything is RSA and and trauma is not as easy it's, it's as sophisticated as so many options as a lot of skill and and experience coming in even doing a simple hemi you know so i think on the education education side there's so much more to 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 share this knowledge and experience in treating proximal humeral fractures all the options available not everything is rsa that was the initial idea right of the rsa not everything is rsa <laughs> on that note i thank all our speakers joe paolo uh, dr rsa andy and our co-moderator um karina and i leave um Emilio, to end off this session with his closing remarks. Thank you, Emilio. Okay, thank you, Danny, very much for uh, taking care of the interesting topic and very controversial, the treatment of proximal humeral fracture. So it's interesting, as you said, that it's important to uh, discuss about it and to also to our uh, young people, urine surgeons, the experience dealing with difficult procedure. So it's been a very interesting uh, webinar. So thank you, um, Guillermo, Joe, uh, Andy and Paolo for your participation, especially thank you to Karina for her moderation and Danny for your uh, strong support uh, of this idea and to ASACOS for uh, the support in providing this education activity. So thank you very, very much. Have a nice weekend.